On today's show, a crossover episode with myself and Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers previewing Tuesday's game between the Hawks and the Cavs in the in-season tournament, and we'll have much more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1598 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And also, I want to tell you at the top of the podcast, as always, make us your first listen each and every day. And check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify on the audio side, as well as YouTube on the video side. It's been a busy week for the show. Already with two episodes, the third one as of Monday evening into Tuesday. So it's been very busy already, and we're always here to cover everything you're looking for with the Atlanta Hawks. And on today's podcast, it's actually a crossover edition. I actually joined forces with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers. He is mostly the host of this show, but we're kind of just jumping across the uh, across the sphere to talk about the Hawks and the Cavs who face off on Tuesday. So that's really all this podcast is about for the most part. Um, matchup stuff. Injury-wise, without Jalen Johnson for Atlanta, and then uh, some in-season tournament discussion at the end of the podcast, all that fun stuff, and Chris is always a good time and a good conversation partner about the NBA and beyond. So, with all that said, we'll have a full podcast here with myself and Chris, and we'll have more to come after the game on Tuesday, and with all that out of the way, here we go with myself and Chris Manning talking Hawks and Cavs. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with a $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com backslash locked on to get started. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brad Rollins. Brad, go blue. Go blue, Chris. I actually forgot that this is sort of tied to an area that probably does not love that sentiment. So my apologies for wearing my Michigan shirt on the on the on the YouTube broadcast. But hello, Chris. How are you? Go blue. It's it's. A, I, I'm doing great. I, is that also a big house photo behind your head? Is my it question. is, and it, uh, Hawks Hawks fans are baffled by that. But uh, look, I needed a, I needed a background quickly, and it worked. So, and I like Michigan. So apologies to everyone in Ohio. It, look, it's okay. There's a, there's there's some Michigan fans here as well. And there you go. Uh, as a, as a, as a you're a graduate of the Ohio University, not the Ohio State University, <laughs> uh, I do sometimes enjoy watching Ohio State fans lose their mind over Ryan Day. But check out Locked On Buckeyes and Locked On Wolverines if that's what you're into. We're here to talk about Cavs Hawks. Brad, to me, the first thing about this matchup that stands out, aside from the in-season tournament part of it, which we'll we'll talk about that later. I, I think the battle that excites me about this game is Cleveland's defense, which has improved of late, but on the year hasn't been exactly where it was last year, versus Atlanta's offense, which this side of the Indiana Pacers has been statistically the sec- has been the best offense in the league. It's been awesome. So if I ask you, what has been the catalyst of Atlanta's offense being as good as it is? Yeah, I mean, this is a team, number one, that's built on offense. Like, they, you know, much as you uh, as you would expect a team that's scoring the way they are, they, this is a roster built for offense. Uh, when your best player is Trey Young, when your system is built around Quint Snyder, that's kind of the basis of everything that, that, that they do in Atlanta. And, you know, they're taking their – I guess the difference is probably between last year and this year, when they were still pretty good last year on offense, is that now it's Quint Snyder ball on top of the talent that they have with Trey and DeJounte initiating – um, they're not taking more threes and less mid-rangers. And like, it looks like a modern offense um, when it kind of didn't a year ago under Nate McMillan. So uh, that's kind of the simple version. Um, but I think it really does come down to like, they're playing a lot of personnel that leans to offense. They have 
some interesting shooters. They have, again, Trey Young, who's playing really well the last couple of games in particular. And defensively, they're not as good, as you might imagine, but um, they can score. They know their identity. While Snyder wants to preach defense, because every coach does, I think deep down in the recesses of, their, of his mind, he knows it's an offense first team. and They kind of have to be this good on offense, and um, they have been pretty good on offense so far. I am blown away by the offense. Just, I mean, Quinn Snyder is is a favorite of mine in terms of how he coaches the way he wants to play offense. They're getting, it seems like they're getting a lot out of the guards. It seems like they're getting a lot out of basically everyone on this roster right now. (laughs) Like everyone is just humming. I mean, I certainly, I think, you know, I I don't know what his health status is, but Jalen Johnson, I think being a real kind of upstart for them above a Sadiq Bay or, or some of the other options has been one of the cooler parts of this and seeing how he's really blossomed and turned into a dude for them. Um, but like what what aside from Trey, who is you know, you look at the assistant percentage, you look at the assistant usage ratio, you look at his numbers, he's having a pretty monster year. Who has been the standout to you as far as the offensive side of the ball for Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Jalen Johnson, who's not going to play on Tuesday, unfortunately. He's got this wrist injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks, but he's having a breakout, which is nice to see. Of course, sort of separate from the matchup that we're talking about now on Tuesday. He would have been high on the list, but also DeJounte Murray's been really cool the last week or so, but he had a really hot start to the season. And I think that's, it's kind of been interesting because he started out really hot and Trey did not. And now they've kind of changed. And now Trey's kind of found his voice and found his game. And as far as the shooting is perspective, because Trey's all his passing and playmaking is always there. But when it comes to him making, knocking down shots, whereas DeJounte's gone, gone a little bit cold, but having two guys who can do that, similar in some ways to what the Caps have, having two you know smaller guards who can get their offense um, and, and also distribute. Um, individually, I think those would be the two guys you have to circle on offense, B- besides Trey would be Jalen, who's not playing, and DeJounte. But also a guy that I have to at least say the name of is Bogdan Magnanovich, who I've always, always said – the Hawks are their best when he's when he's good and healthy, mm-hmm. and I think healthy is the, is the big thing there with Bogdan. He's had some knee issues in the past, but he, knock on wood, he looks great physically right now, and he's a bomber. Like he he's one of the guys in the league, even I think probably it's underrated. In fact, I know he's underrated nationally of like just how good of a shooter he is and how willing of a shooter he is. He will bomb. He's not only a catch and shoot guy; he can get, he can he can, he can score off the dribble, and uh, I think he unlocks them offensively in a way that gets underplayed. Still Trey's team and DeJounte after that, but I think Bogey, in particular on offense, does a lot for them, and uh, teams have to account for all the stuff he can do off the ball in particular. So when you look at Cleveland's defense, to me, it starts obviously with the bigs. It starts with Allen and Mobley. Brad, when you look at what teams have done to stop Atlanta, what what, is, what has worked to whatever degree you can say it's worked considering the numbers are, are outrageous efficiency-wise? Yeah, I, I would say that um, at times it has worked when teams get hyper-aggressive to take the ball out of Trey's hands. There are mixed results on that, to be honest. The Hawks have gotten better and better at that as sort of combating it the last couple of years. But on the wrong night for Atlanta, if you're blitzing Trey and you know doubling him everywhere and just basically playing the no Trey Young defense, um, it can be effective, especially now because of Jalen Johnson not being there. They're kind of at a shortage of passers and playmakers other than Trey. You know, Jante can kind of do that, but Jalen Johnson was doing a lot of that for them. And look, fundamentally, a team as that, that is as reliant as they are on Trey is going to not be at the same level if he's not as big of a part of the offense. That's kind of a very simple way to put it, but that has worked against them um, at different times. I don't know if Cleveland's going to do that necessarily, um, but I think without Jalen, it actually would be a better time to even do that. The problem is, of course, for defenses is that the Hawks have enough shooting in some of these lineups where you can't just leave 
Bogdanovich or Bay or some of these guys open because they're, they're going to kill you with three. So I know Cleveland's always great at, at preventing corner threes. I saw that on their stat sheet the last couple of years. They've mm-hmm. all been great at that. That's an area I'm circling in this game. Uh, can the Hawks create corner threes and can Cleveland stop them? But the other thing I would say is like the Hawks have turned the ball over more this year than they have in the previous two years, which does make sense, actually, when you kind of take a, a half step further down um, on what they're doing. They're playing more egalitarian. It's not just high pick and roll with Trey every play like it had been. Not every play, you know what I mean. Like It was a lot of volume of that. And when other guys touch the ball, when there's more player movement, when there's more ball movement, generally speaking, turnovers kind of inherently go up. And that's really the only area on the stat sheet that you can kind of find where the Hawks have been worse this year on offense. So if you can get them sped up a little bit, again, without Jalen in the lineup, they don't have as many ball handlers, as many facilitators, as many playmakers and decision makers, really, for me. That's an area where I'm a little bit concerned um, without Johnson, and that also applies to Tuesday. What interests you about Cleveland? We're gonna I, I, we're gonna have a guard conversation in <laughs> segment two because like what, how can you how can you not? But what what do you interest you about Cleveland as far as this matchup goes? Yeah, I mean the big thing is like you said broadly speaking the way that they'll be able to guard Atlanta. Um, I, I was digging a little bit to the numbers before we started talking about you know Cleveland's kind of uneven start. I know a lot of that's injury based, but like you mentioned at the very top of this conversation, like how they've been playing a little bit better recently, and they are now closer to full strength. It appears like you know especially the big four, big five are all going to be there in this game. But you know what interests me is basically are they going to play any differently against Atlanta than they do typically? Because it seems to me like these are two teams that kind of do what they do in some ways. And that can be interesting when they kind of clash. They play the preseason too. I'm sure you remember that game. It was not you know mm-hmm. the most high intensity game in the world, but it was, there was a little bit of a window. It's like six weeks ago when they actually played. I'm, I'm really just curious to see how they guard, especially because of the fact that the Hawks are going to be playing small. Like the Cavs play these two big lineups and the Hawks kind of have to play small right now. They don't have what I would describe as a natural power forward on their available roster tomorrow so that it's very interesting like the Hawks are gonna play one big all the time maybe they occasionally go with two bigs with the Kongwu but like it's one team is much bigger than the other and I wonder how much that's gonna come into play coming up next let's get into the guards and specifically I, I want to talk about how teams defend Trae Young how teams are going to defend Cleveland and what options these two teams had in this match we'll talk about that up next today's episode is brought to you by today's title sponsor and that is our friends at FanDuel right now over at FanDuel they have Cavs Hawks odds. Cleveland is a minus five favorite in this game as far as the spread goes. As far as the money line goes, Cleveland's minus two hundred five. Atlanta plus one seventy two. And right now, new customers at FanDuel get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets with any winning five dollar money line bet. That is a hundred and fifty bucks if your team wins. So you can pick Cleveland or Atlanta. Get that winner right. Get some bonus pets. Their app is easy to use. They have spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Right now, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official sportsbook of LockedOn, and also an official partner of the NFL. Brad, so what interests me about this game, just because both the teams made these big trades about guards, um, for guards, excuse me, they both have guards that you can pick on defensively, let's say. I think Darius Garland and Trey Young, those are guys that will get attacked at times when the games really matter. I'm curious tomorrow to see how both aggressive teams are about that because Donovan Mitchell trying to make Trey Young work defensively feels like something Cleveland should try to do a lot. But Cleveland's offensive late has been has felt stuck in the mud at times. Mitchell is dealing with his hamstring injury, so how much are you going to lean on him? And then on the on the flip side, 
this is one of those games where how Cleveland defends the guards is going to be really interesting because Max Struess is probably the guy they're going to throw on trade to start. But then Okoro plays 10 minutes the other night. He just came back from injury. This is a game where I think it maybe demands Okoro chasing around Trey Young a little bit, but then he gives Trey Young a place to hide. There's so many machinations with these <laughs> guards. So what, what interests you the most about how these two backcourts match up? Yeah, like you said, it, it's it's these teams are in the backcourt. These these two, they're not the same players, but you know, having the, the parallels are undeniable, right? Um, these two scoring guards, uh, one of whom on both sides is a better passer, for instance. Like I think Garland is a great passer, as is Trey. Um, Murray and Mitchell are a little bit more score first in some respects, but both guys can pass and facilitate. I think you're going to see a lot of cross matches. I would imagine, like you already mentioned it. Um, I don't think Trey and Donovan are going to guard each other very much in this game. Um, and it's kind of interesting to like in the past, the Hawks have tried to hide Trey on whoever the, the infamous fifth starter was for Cleveland for a long time. Yep. It's harder to do that now with Max Struess. Like Trey's guarded Max Struess a lot, dating back to Miami and playoff series and stuff like that. But like, that's not a great spot for a Trey to have to hide. I will say for those people in Cleveland, Trey's actually competing on defense this year. This has mm-hmm. been, I would say, by far his best defensive season to this point. Um, you know, we'll see if that continues, but he's way more invested and way more active. And look, he's still small. He gets picked on. That's going to happen. But he is not uh, quite the, um, let's just say his reputation is not where, where he's, the way he's playing right now. That's the, that's the kind of way to put it on defense. So I'm, I'm circling that. Yeah. How Cleveland, like, obviously, I think there's ways you can still go at him but it's of course it's like the teams not... do they it's, every team yeah. does every team tries to go at trey and they're not gonna they don't stop just because he's playing better t- the scatter report is maybe out there but no teams are still going to target him as as they should frankly so what 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 is it about how he's playing that makes him a little bit better defensively i think more honestly the the big thing this is very broad on purpose and i'll sort of dive down further is that he is he is more attentive and more engaged i think he's I think for whatever reason, Snyder and his messaging has gotten through to Trey. Like, hey, Trey, we just need you to, to be engaged. We know kind of we know what your limitations are, um, and we know that we're going to have to cover for you. That's just the way that the game works, and I'm sure it happens at Cleveland, too, with Donovan and Darius on different nights, and um, you can't expect those guys to play great defense every night. But um, just using what his, his tools actually are, like he's become a really good dig guy, for instance. Like He's got good hands. He's very smart. Trey Young underrated like he's a very 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 smart basketball player and when you use that on defense you can get deflections and you can kind of just be an, a be a, a pest is the way i would say like he's still going to be physically limited but he'll, he'll draw a charge every once in a while he'll get his hands in there he'll make the right, he'll make the right rotation and yeah certain matchups if he's one-on-one against donovan mitchell that's not going to go well for the hawks it's just not but on certain nights he he'll he'll bow up every once in a while so I think it's the big thing is engagement, but also I think he's just like playing to his strengths more. And the Hawks are playing a style broadly beyond Trey that's like a little bit more fitting of that. They're, they're playing less drop. Trey's worst characteristic probably is he can't he can't get around a screen. He just dies on screens. But the Hawks are playing more blitz coverage. They're playing less drop, and that that takes the heat off of not just Trey but also Dejounte at the point of attack. So we'll see if they do that in this game. But I think that's uh, it's kind of a combination of him trying harder in a simple term, and also the Hawks kind of scheming not only around him but kind of around their entire roster. What do you, on the flip side, interest you about the Cleveland backcourt as exists right now? How you think about it? What challenges that that can show up in this game? What what pops to you on the inverse here? Yeah, I, I think that the Hawks um, still, above all, honestly, have a weakness when it comes to their perimeter defense. 
Um, that for me, I, I screamed that last year all year long. That that was their biggest weakness. It still probably is now. And when you're facing a team that has these two dynamic guards, you have to have someone guard these guys. And that that's very simple on purpose. But if you don't want to have Trey guard either one of them, Dejounte, I'm assuming was going to have the first crack at Donovan in this game, if I had to guess. Um, but they've kind of wanted DeAndre Hunter to be more of a you know big wing defender, whereas like Cleveland doesn't really have a big wing to defend like that. Um, so maybe you'll see him more on a guard. They don't they don't really want to do that, and the Hawks don't have um, great defensive talent. And you know you want to make other guys beat you, similarly to the way that teams defend the Hawks. Like you don't want to let Donovan beat you, I don't think. But I think at some point in, in this game they're going to have to rely on Dejounte to guard one of them, and hopefully game plan around the other one. And that's it's tough because the Hawks just don't have great personnel to do that. I think you're going to probably have to see Trey guard Darius Garland for portions of this game. It's going to ha- that's going to happen. And if he can hold up there, that makes life easier. And again, I- I'm actually really curious to see if the Hawks play bigger in this game. And by bigger, I mean the Kongwu at the four next to Capella. They've not done that really at all, but with Johnson out, this is pr- a prime matchup to try that against the Mobley Allen backcourt. So like, that's what I'm circling. But as far as like how to handle these guards at a certain point, you can't you can't handle them, but the Hawks are going to be playing a different way this year than I think Cavs fans might remember them playing in the past. It was a lot of drop, and now they're playing a lot more at the level of the screen, which you know has pros and cons. But I think that's the biggest change. The one thing that I would say that makes me curious about how much we could see Okongu and Capella together is that Cleveland of late in this extends beyond the guards is getting really good connectivity between Mobley and Allen on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. You will watch these games now, and one of them is getting the ball in the short roll, and then one of the other one is in the dunker spot, and they're getting teams two, three, four times a game, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds up. Like that adds up, and sometimes that's all you need for one set to work that many times. And they're getting one of those guys a clean dunk. And it's usually wide open and it's emphatic and it feels like a moment. I think it's something that it partially exists, Brad, when teams do go a little bit smaller on them, when teams don't have another big. So I, even if there are some spacing sacrifices to be made, I do wonder if it's like, hey, let's put a Kongu and Capel out there and we trust them to be positionally smart, really handsy, not commit fouls, and just eat up that stuff a little bit because if you're going to design two bigs to defend those two guys it might be those two guys as far as squeezing them together both really smart i you know this from from us talking privately i love okongu i just absolutely adore that guy (laughs) and he's so smart he's so good that could be something that i think cleveland should look to exploit particularly when like sadiq bay is on the floor and then but if they go with the two bigs, I wonder how the how that action looks like, or if that's if that's going to show up at all in the Atlanta game in the Atlanta scouting report here. Yeah, not to not to make it too Hawks deep dive specific, but the, the Hawks really have a a stark lack of options defensively at the at the three and really the four spot right now with Jalen out of the out of action. They played all forty eight minutes on Saturday on Sunday, I should say, with either DeAndre Hunter or Sadiq Bay on the court because they're really their only two power forwards and. DeAndre Hunter's mostly been a three in his career. He can play a little bit at the four. Sadiq Bey has, um, let's just say, broad defensive weaknesses. He's not a very good defender on the whole. So, and look, the Hawks have not shown really a lot of willingness to play a Kongo at the four. I'm kind of speculating, but it's a perfect storm of opponent, how you just laid out. And because, you know, Mobley, Mobley and a Kongo. US, USC guys, that I'm sure that I'm sure they're relatively cl- they're close in age, and they've I'm sure they've interacted quite a bit. But it's just if, if the Hawks are ever gonna do it. Without Jalen Johnson and against this Cavs team and with all of the Hawks' defensive issues that they have because they just don't have any depth there right now. Like it, It's really ugly 
like Hunter sat, I think, I think he played 40 minutes on a back-to-back on Sunday. That's the kind of thing, like, they know it, too. They, they don't want to take him off the court. Not that he's a stopper, either. Hunter, Hunter's a pretty good defender, but he's not a game-changer. But if he's off the court, you're talking about Bogdanovich and Sadiq Bey together or, you know, that kind of those, – those are ugly options defensively. So I think that if I had to guess, this is the spot to try it. And maybe it'll be 10 minutes. Maybe it'll be four minutes. Maybe it'll be zero minutes. I don't know. But um, I, I'd be intrigued by it because they're kind of – Again, much like the guards are to bring this thing full circle, mm-hmm. that Akongwu Capella partnership is, you know, it's fairly similar to what Mobley and Allen could be if the Hawks did that more often because they haven't done it. You know, the Cavs do it all the time. They haven't done that on the Hawks side, and I get why. Offensively, it's pretty limiting when you have those two guys. But I'd be uh, mm-hmm. very, very interested to see a lineup or at least a, a stretch with Trey Dejounte, Akongwu, and Allen. Uh, sorry, Akongwu and Capella out there against. Darius, Donovan, Mobley, and Allen, just to kind of see it for, for once. I personally would like to see it as well, just for my own fun. Uh, injury report injury reports for this game could be Bufkin out for Atlanta. Uh, Mohamed Gouyer is out for Atlanta. I totally butcher the name. I apologize. Jalen Johnson okay. out for Atlanta. And thank you, Brad. Seth Lundy and Miles Norris out on two ways for Atlanta as well. For Cleveland, Ty Jerome still out with an ankle issue. Isaiah Mobley out with on the two-way. Ricky Rubio not with the team, obviously. And Dean Wade remains out with a right ankle sprain. Donovan Mitchell not listed with the hamstring. No Darius Garland listening with his neck issue. So aside from Jalen Johnson, and you could throw Dean Wade in there, I guess. Most both these teams are coming in fairly healthy. All right, one more break. Come back. Let's talk about the in-season tournament. It's likely coming to an end for both of these teams. Was it good? We'll talk about it. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at PrizePix, which is the number one DFS platform in North America. That's pretty darn cool. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you versus the numbers. Pick more or less than on two to six stat projections and watch those winnings roll in. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. That's a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made and receptions is a thing you can do. Go to pricepicks.com backslash LockedInNBA and use our code LockedInNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's pricepicks.com backslash locked in NBA code locked in NBA for a first deposit match up to $100 price picks daily fantasy sports made easy. Brad, are you in or out on the in-season tournament? Now that for Cleveland and Atlanta, it's probably over barring something miraculous. I'll pull up the scenarios here and talk through them at the end, but are you in or out? Yeah, I was hoping you were going to read the scenarios in painstaking detail on this podcast, so I hope you're going to do that in a second. Uh, but no, I, I am in. I've been saying this. I've been in the whole time, and my general take is it's it's kind of a boring one, but I think that there's just no harm in it. I, I'm enjoying it. The courts are potentially offensive on some level. Some of the courts are pretty bad. The Hawks courts have been pretty good. It's actually this light blue that they uh, it was not too bothersome to the eye. But yeah, no, I, I like the end season tournament. I, I don't think it's going to change anybody's life in year one, but I think the secretly, I don't know if you've heard this feedback, it feels like teams kind of care. I mean, I'm not saying they care yeah. like it's a playoff series, but it seems like at least the teams that I've interacted with, I've talked to the people about the Hawks and some of the other teams around the league, let's just say, teams seem to care. Players, coaches, um, and by the way, like Tuesday's game is a good example. The game still counts. Like, we we both acknowledge this is not going to probably matter for the season tournament, this Hawks-Cavs game, but it still matters in the standings, and these are two teams that would like to get a win, I'd imagine, against each other. So, like, 
no harm done, and I, I'm pretty intrigued by it, honestly. I'm with you, and, and if there's actually a game that told me that guys cared, one that I watched in real time, it was Atlanta, Indiana. You don't have a game like that if you don't care. At a certain point, Indiana might have just been like, ah, you know, or Atlanta might have been like, okay, like, let's just, let's just pack it up. Like, that happens. You can see those business <laughs> decisions made in real time. Yeah. Those teams cared, and I think teams generally care. I think everyone has different reasons for caring in two different levels, right? I think the, maybe the, the, the most public example we've seen of, like, an older guy is LeBron talking about how he wanted to get everyone else that doesn't make a lot of money paid, which is very cool. That's a very valid reason. Yep. Um, I think it, I, I, in Cleveland and Atlanta's group, Brad, I like that in Indiana, even though, like it would have been cool to see Cleveland and, or like get to cover them in, in that tournament in Vegas. And I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like, okay, like that would have been cool. Instead, you're going to have like a grab bag of games added to the schedule. You're going to need to like figure out and like readjust your life around. Super fun. <laughs> That's like first world problem, but it's what it is. Indiana getting to go and with how good that offense has been and the way Halliburton's playing, that's cool for them to get to play for something and not only earn more money, but get a chance to play in higher stakes games, probably against really good competition. That in itself is cool. Here are the tiebreakers. Um, <laughs> NBA.com. Thank you for doing this. So I didn't have to like, think about it. Atlanta will clinch a wild card. If the following occurs, I'm going to count them off with my fingers. And it's a lot. Know. I'll tell you that. It's a lot. It's a lot. It, it's a lot. Atlanta wins. The Knicks lose, Miami loses, Boston loses, Brooklyn loses, and then Atlanta finishes second in the group and wins a tiebreaker over any second-place team from another group. So Atlanta needs like seven things to go right. And just th that, that last one, to win the tiebreaker, means they have to beat teams in the point differential like Cleveland and Philadelphia, and that takes like margins and like that's the seventh thing, but that's like almost like three other things. Like there's actually more like it's like ten or eleven things long after that happened. So it's crazy. Yes. Yes. Cleveland, they have two options. Here's the simpler one. They win, the Knicks lose, the Heat lose, Boston loses, and Brooklyn loses. So they win, and those other four games go their way. They go. The other way, Cleveland wins. And then they win a tiebreaker over every second place team from the groups with a three one record. So they would also have to just run it up on Atlanta. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing. Like, this is one of those games where I actually be interested to see if one team pulls ahead by double digits. Like, there's been some consternation on all sides of this about how much how much teams should put should try to keep scoring. This is one where like it's even weirder because objectively they're not likely to make. Either team's not likely to make it. So you could argue point differential, but especially the Hawks. Right now, the Hawks are minus nine, right, in the tournament. Mm -hmm. The Cavs are plus six, and the Cavs are two and one. So even if just for the Hawks to get past the Cavs, they have to win by 15 or more on the road, in addition to everything else. And then you factor in the Sixers, who are also plus nine. So that means the Hawks have to win by at least 18 to even get in the mix. So that seventh tiebreaker we talked about, that's have to rack up in addition to the other seven things. So I have a feeling this is going to be one of those games that does not have a huge emphasis on point differential at the end of it. That's just my guess. It might be close, which might be part of it too. Yeah, I think this should be a really competitive game. Barring just like th this can happen. Things can get wonky and fall off the rails. It just happens sometimes. I think you could just be in a situation where this is like a five-point game and both these teams are like, okay, we didn't make it, and 
they but they're not going to know in real time either. Like I can't like I mean, you know how insane it would be to have like an assistant coach like tracking this on the sidelines being like, "Hey well, guy, like they, they might have should. to." Well, yeah. the one you mentioned it, the, the one that is the least likely to happen is Boston losing at home to Chicago in a game they're trying to win. Boston's going to be I, a very large favorite I, in that game. Um, what are you saying about the Chicago Bulls, Brad? That they're what not particularly saying? good at basketball this season. Chris, you want to guess no. the line? You want to guess the line for that game? I was about to look it up, so now, yeah, I will guess it. Uh, I bet our friends at FanDuel have Boston by 11. 12 and a half. Okay, well, that tells you all you need to know. If you, um, if you pick up straight up, minus 900, plus 610 for the Bulls. <laughs> sure. Yeah, So that, and that's one, again, that's only one of the five results that have to happen. Yeah. But that's the most likely. So I like the NCAA tournament. You do, too. Um, it's unfor- I, I was really hoping this game was going to be, like, for a spot. It would have been awesome yeah, same. to yep. cover a game like that. That like, if even if one of the teams were, was closer, I, I kind of I wish one of these teams had like a had a, a, like a win and in kind of scenario. And unfortunately, they, they don't. But um, I, you know, I still think that because the game matters and because both teams are relatively healthy, other than Jalen Johnson, you know, the Cavs are not having a great season by what they wanted to hap- happen so far. The Hawks are eight and eight. They're going to want to win this game. Like, there's going to be plenty of sticks. Yeah, I I think this game is going to be fun. I kind of hope. I, I think this quote-unquote rivalry between the two teams, as much as one exists, I think is interesting. There's so much contrast, but also similarity. It's going to be fun. Brad, thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, I am. I wish we were getting some real stakes, but <laughs> I guess we'll take what we can get. We will take it. I appreciate you doing this. Perhaps we'll do it again later on in the season if these two teams uh, remain. And they're close in the standings right now. So we'll we'll be talking more, I have a feeling. There could be some playoff implications. you know. And you and I just like talking about basketball. So thanks for having me, Chris. That, I appreciate it. That we do. Brad, basketball is good. It is. It is good. All right, that's going to end this episode. Talk to y'all after Cavs, Hawks. Evan and I will be recapping that one. Brad will be covering it over on Locked on Hawks as well. Have a good Tuesday, everybody.